0: A lot of what we do here at FX Medicine is made possible by the generous collaboration of our many guests and contributors. We extend our heartfelt thanks as we continue our education of evidence-based complementary medicine. This is FX Medicine and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining me on the line today is Justin Sinclair, a practising naturopath, author, consultant and lecturer specialising in herbal medicine and phytochemistry. He spent much of his younger years travelling and learning from different cultures about their ethno-pharmacological uses of various plants, which led him to formal study in the complementary medicine field in his 20s. After completing a bachelor of health science in naturopathy with the University of New England and diploma level studies in herbal medicine, naturopathy and nutrition with ACNT in 2002, he went on to study the master of herbal medicines with Sydney University's Faculty of Pharmacy, graduating in 2004. Key areas of study and interest in this program were analytical phytochemistry, pharmacognosy, toxicology, pharmaceutical technology and medicinal botany. Justin has published on the topics of pain management and herb-drug interactions in peer-reviewed texts and has held executive director and examiner positions on the board of directors for the National Herbalists Association of Australia. Justin has had a keen research interest in medicinal cannabis, in particular the endocannabinoid system, constituent synergy, that is the entourage effect, novel drug systems for cannabinoids and terpenes, and the use of medicinal cannabis for pain, anxiety, and immunomodulation. Welcome back to FX Medicine, Justin. How are you?
1: I'm doing really well. Thank you very much, uh, Andrew. And-
0: now, today we're going to be talking about something that is dear to my heart, and I know yours, because we I like the way that you don't fall into a, a model, a black box of even herbal medicine, and that is dosing. Because we get taught by mainly industry bodies about what is a relevant dose. but if you look back in history, that's not necessarily relevant to the needs, and indeed there's some some striking uh, disparate examples out there. So let's first start off with where did all of this sort of thing start with you with regards to questioning the dose? Well, that's
1: a really interesting question.. Um... The eternal question, you know, how much does one take? You know, so I think um, getting the pathology uh, accurate and and uh, for a patient is as important as the herbal medicine selection uh, in the formulation to begin with. And I think it started for me back when I was uh, studying. Um, when I looked at the the texts that we were um, utilising within our curriculum, we were looking at the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia of 1983. Uh, Dorothy Hall, um, you know herbal medicine, where a lot of it is looking at drop dosing, and then of course um, Kerry um, Kerry's book, *The Principles and Practice of Phytotherapy*, came out, I believe, in 2000, um, and that started, uh, you know, uh, to be honest, you know, revolutionising because we could start to look at um, the more science coming in to what was, you know, previously just a uh, traditional curriculum. And so that really did, uh, you know, set the, sta- the stage for trying to then uh, set these standards for minimum and maximum dosage guidelines and, and where that came from and extrapolation from, um, you know, uh, other textbooks. But I guess something always resonated with me, particularly because I've I've been very fortunate to travel around the world and look at how other uh, cultures, you know, from an ethnopharmacological point of view, actually employ their herbal medicines and. I guess it just—it's always been in the back of my mind that that uh, things like drop dosing and uh, what we would probably call today, and and what many uh, many do is like suboptimal dosing. You know, uh, l- looking at using uh, and utilizing that minimum uh, dosage range, um, whereas you know many argue that well you're not going to get enough bang for your buck. Um, I, I actually disagree, and and particularly one of the main reasons I disagree is that of course it's it, it's It's all about appropriateness um uh, and and there's a lot of factors that come into selecting the appropriate dose for a patient and when you consider that uh for us in in natural medicine uh, I would say the lion's share of patients that come to see us are with chronic conditions um it really does follow that kind of low and slow dosage form instead of uh you know going in really heavy like you do with uh you know acute colds and flu, and you can really start pushing that um Phytotherapeutic dosing are high, so I, I think we need to have this discussion. I think it's really interesting because, particularly with a lot of new graduates, um, the way that uh, you know some curriculums are taught these days is that if, if you're not within these minimum and maximum dosage guidelines, then um, you know either a) if you're uh, too high, then you can do harm, and if you're uh, too low, then you're not uh, you're not going to be doing enough. And I think that there there needs that needs to be discussed more because I, I think there's much more to that story.
0: Oh, look, what I think is interesting is that this transcends just herbal medicine and nutritional medicine. This is even indeed in the drug industry as well. I noted when I, even in my nursing training, I thought, hang on, the original dosing of Panadol was 325 milligrams, two tablets as one dose. So that's a 650 milligram dose. Find that in Australia. It's 1,000 yeah. milligram is the standard dose. So that's 65% of that 1,000 milligrams. That's 35% difference
2: mm-hmm.
0: in a mm-hmm. standard dose. And now we're finding, after decades of paracetamol being the safe drug, we're now seeing that it's got a, a far higher implication in um, in um, admi- admission to emergency, certainly for kids, mm. overdosing. Yeah, oh,
1: yeah. And, and look, that all comes back to the great... Uh Paracelan phrase that the dose makes the poison. And I think <laughs> yeah. that um, when we start to understand that um, you know I guess the pharmaceutical model is a good example because they they are trying to standardize dosage and and uh, protocol uh, for treatment. and that's that's important when you need to look at the fact that uh, Orthodox medicine and modern medicine is trying to supply uh, therapeutic um, you know delivery of substances across a wide range of different conditions. Um, for the general population, and so they, they you know, based on a context um I understand the need for that, but the reality is is that it's the doctor um that has the art form. I mean, medicine is both science and art That's right. um and and I think that it's the art form that comes in the dosage, and because because let's be honest if 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 we didn't. Need that. If we didn't need that individual art form, then then really, why do we need doctors at all? I mean, anyone can just follow a protocol. Someone that's received adequate training, but it's it's the experience that the doctors have overseeing hundreds of thousands of patients in some instances that gives them that intuition or, or insight, uh, probably more appropriately, um, to know how much of a, a dose might actually be needed. But as that now starts to get dictated to them, as you say, by pharmaceutical. Uh, models and and, and the pharmaceutical industry, Um, that's where I would really like to see that discussion uh, take place. Because, you know, when you start looking at uh, hormesis, you know, and and, uh, the discussion of hormesis where's that um, a biphasic dose response relationship, this is well known in toxicology and it's well known in pharmacology, um, where you can have, um, you know, low dose, um, even of toxins can actually be quite stimulating whereas a high dose can be inhibitory. Mm-hmm. and This is well, this is well um, understood in science. And I think that there is a certain applicability um, that, that therefore then comes over into herbal medicine. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the dose really is it. And I think uh, particularly um, from a clinical point of view, a lot of, a lot of people, and I may be speaking out of turn, but I, I think I might have it right. You know, when you have a patient and they come back to you, maybe after two weeks of trying a, uh, one of the first formulations that you've put together, and they say, "Oh, look, I've not noticed much difference, or I, I'm actually feeling worse, or I've I've got these side effects that have come through," and and almost all uh, practitioners will almost invariably question the herbs that they chose, and not the dose. Mm. And so, one of the things that I started doing years ago was, I mean, I, if if I feel solid about a formula that I that I picked, because I'm I'm always fairly um, I guess, diligent in in choosing herbs that I want for a patient um, that I will just knock down, I will knock that dose right back down and I'll start low and slow. So instead of the five mils three times a day, I might knock it down to just five mils mils a day, uh, 2.5 mils uh, BDS. And then suddenly all of those side effects go away and I can keep them on that for a longer period of time. So I think that that's uh, that's a really important point is, is not only look at, of course, the herbs that you've selected. Um, because that is important and there are many variables in that. But uh, in some instances, I, would, I, I think it's very um, important to consider the implications of pathology.
0: It's That's very interesting that you say that, because I'm just remembering, a it, and it, forgive me for doing this, but it was almost a standard formula, and I'd, I'd change it a little bit. I'd tweak it. Mm-hmm. But there were some common herbs in this, and this was a, a, herb, a herbal formula for blood pressure. Uh-huh. And I, because I chose the breadth of herbs in there, and there was a lot, many of them relating to stress, which was interesting, um, yeah. but I, because I had a, a, a wider range of herbs in that formula, I would have to use the lower dose the lowest weekly dose on each bottle um that Just i
1: packing more in yeah that makes complete
0: sense there that's right but what i found interesting was that this formula was extremely powerful and i used to have to even drop the dosage for several patients because they found it quote unquote drop them yeah. They'd get blurry vision and light and things like that, and I'd always get them to check their blood pressure and make sure that it was nothing untoward happening. But they said it's just it's strong; it was just acted so well.
1: Mm. I had something similar with me actually, Andrew. I mean, I um, I was uh, on a sommopressol for a little while when I was having a lot of gourd uh, several years ago, yeah. And I eventually got uh, sick of it and said, you know, I, I really just should be uh, taking some herbs. I don't know why I didn't in the first place, but um, Started out with the standard, you know, uh, classic herbs for a mix like that, and I put in, you know, fairly significant doses and started taking a high dose and actually found that it flared things up worse. And then I just said, okay, well, I'm I'm confident with the herbs, and I literally just dropped that dose back. And I was taking uh, the minimum dosage requirement for that uh, for all of those particular herbs. I ended up staying on that for about 12 to 16 months, and the the rest is history, as they say. So I mean. It really is um, a, a, an important discussion to have that because when we look at all the different models, you know, because um, dose can obviously be dictated by dosage form as well, um, which is a little bit above and beyond our scope of discussion today. Mm. You know, mm. um, so you may need far more of a dried herb than a than a concentrated liquid extract yep. or an extract pro extract. Yep. But when we, we can break dosing down, I think really into what we might call, you know, phytotherapeutic dosing, the classic dosage that has emerged, you know, uh, post-2000, often standardised and generally produces quite a a strong pharmacological and physiological effect, you know, particularly if you're operating at the higher ends of that spectrum. And sometimes uh, in the context of actual symptomatic suppression or amelioration. Um, So this is what I believe, you know, um, the majority of herbalists and naturopaths currently employ in Australia. Um, and, of course, it has its benefits, and we all use this regularly. Um, but, obviously, we need to consider the constitution and the general health of the patient, their body weight, um, you know, to employ different dosage calculations such as you know, Clark's, Young's or Osberger's rules for underweight patients and children so as not to overstimulate the organism or, or increase risk of adverse effects. So I think that this is – I would imagine that this is the uh, way that the majority of patients um, Naturopaths and herbalists uh, actually practice in Australia, but then there's a really interesting um, a point that I was reading just the other day. Um, what Paul Bergner, who's a, a herbalist over in the United States, calls physiological dosing, and 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 in this he talks about the the minimum dose to produce a physio- physiological effect, yeah. which relies perhaps more on stimulating the vital force of the individual um and so i think that can be you know important in long term treatment for chronic conditions and sensitive individuals um and this is where that you know that discussion uh, is inclusive inclusive of things like drop dosing um because um that that's a really important point we've got to tie these the, the dosage back to the way that you practice um and when you consider that um what what i think is uh such an important document uh, that was written by Zeph Snyder and Myers um, based on the therapeutic order and talking about, you know, the uh, seven steps of the therapeutic order. Um, we, we could argue that, you know, when we do start to just trying to suppress pathology and address pathology with natural substances, we're, we're actually maybe not utilizing um, some of the earlier therapeutic orders, uh, such as, you know, stimulating the vital force or the self-healing mechanisms uh, and supporting and tonifying weakened systems. And the whole concept to me of tonification um, really is more about low and slow. It's not an acute thing. So we need to be very conscious of the dose that we use here.
0: And, and, you know, this was something that was, it it tweaked my interest when um, David Hoffman came out to Australia. Gosh, over Mm -hmm. when would that be? Two decades ago-odd. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he, and he really struck me. Like, you know, I remember this, the initial view of him was this, seriously, it was like a druid sort of look. <laughs> and yet when he started to speak, wow, there was true expertise and mm-hmm. caring, I've got to say, as well. Like there was, a, you could tell this guy knew his stuff and knew his patience, and he was into that that sort of caring, nurturing sort of thing of 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 the whole system, as you talk about tonifying. What I think is interesting is if we talk about herbal medicines in Australia, and we talk about even registered herbal medicines, there's one which I will exalt, and that is iberagast. Look at the dosage of it.
1: I know. There's the science, though, isn't it? And, yeah, and, and, that's, and that's the science. The, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the discussion, isn't it, is that... Um, We've always had that point of view of well, the science suggests that, you know, we need between, I don't know, twenty to forty mils of this particular herb and and, and, and anywhere in between is fine, but anything under or over is not. And the reality is, is that the, the basis for some of that argument has always been that the it's the scientific way. You know, you need a certain amount, it's a very pharmacological viewpoint of things.
2: Yeah.
1: Um but but the reality is is that the science, as you say now, is starting to prove the tradition. I mean, the tradition of drop dosing has um Has a long history uh, throughout Europe and and the United States also, um, but has largely been completely forgotten uh, in Australia um, for for a variety of reasons. But the reality is is that here are, you know, here's a product that has numerous clinical trials to validate its uh, therapeutic effect. And as you say, uh, if we were to base um, the amounts of the herbs that were in that particular formula, uh, we would have to argue right now that they are suboptimal, yeah. um, which is obviously not the case.
0: Mm. Uh, we, as you mentioned before, even the type of extract—you um, know what I think—I uh, sort of have a little little giggle about this, and that is, um, you know, we're taught, and and I've got to say, it's mainly by industry that a certain type of extract is the better one because it has a certain type of a style of extraction technique. And yet when you look back in history, where all of this stuff began, where we all got our – where our roots, forgive the pun, are, yep. um, these extracts were largely made in mulled wine and some sort of solvent, mm. which was actually quite gentle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the the classic spring tonics and all of that, isn't it, where you would put uh, all of your herbs in there to wake up the, the body system after a long winter and start taking new spring tonics mm. with invigorating herbs like uh, – you know, rosemary and 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 uh, you know citrus and mm. things like that. It's mm. uh, uh, apart from being absolutely delicious, of course. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful way to take it. And um, you know, I guess if we're just on that discussion of the different dosage forms, I mean, when you start to look at, um, I don't know, a, a herb maybe like uh, chamomile. I mean, chamomile anywhere between uh, three to six mils per day of uh, one to two liquid extract. Whereas if you actually refer to older texts such as the BHP of 1983, and they start talking about this is two to four grams, um, up to three uh, three times per day. So you're actually looking at you know uh, infusions, yeah, um, and in some instances with decoctions, of course. But if you're actually following a larger uh, or, or the the traditional uh, uh, prescribing for these things, you're actually getting. Uh, a much larger amount of dry herb equivalent uh, over the course of the day as well as taking in uh you know more water, which might be very important as well yes. um in in contrast to the classic uh, you know one to twos one to ones and, and tinctures that we love yes. and and I think that 's something that I really miss too is is um over in the United states and and Europe of course they do use infusions and decoctions a great deal more um you know um, people such as Susan Weed and and, and, uh, all of these uh, amazing, you know, again, uh, Hoffman um, masters of their art. And this is something that I really would like to see because I I think that uh, the dosage form is as important as the dose as is important as the herbal selection. Mm. But one is more important than the other. I think that that's where the art form um, in, in good therapeutic application lies and uh, knowing that there are benefits and cons and pros to all of them, but, uh, you know, it does. It does make us uh, have to have this discussion so that we can uh, work through it. Because you know, when you are presented with evidence such as the I- Iberogast, mm. it's there, it's stark, it's in your face. You can't argue against it. So the the, the discussion that's always been previous has to then be challenged. Mm. Um, because in the face of new evidence, we have to be able to have an open mind uh, to to be able to have the discussion, um, have an educated and robust you know, academic and collegiate discussion about these things because it's not about who's right and wrong. Um, that's really pointless. It's about what's right for the patient. That's right. Um, and, and and we need to always consider the patient first. And if that happens best in drop doses or it happens best in infusions or decoctions, then I think the rest is, is rather pointless.
0: Mm. I, I think it's interesting that I've learned so much from friend, practitioner friends of mine who chose to incorporate in many occasions, most occasions, I would say, they chose to incorporate a tea. And if we Mm -hmm. just listening to you talk about chamomile before, you know, you can talk about the chamomile, you can talk about the, the, uh, um, frequent administration of that dosage, if you like, form throughout the day. But then you can also think about, you know, the intake of water. But what about the patient just having to stop and take stock? And go. Yeah. Right now, I'm going to drink this tea. So there's that, and abs- and,
1: and, and even the, the the time it takes to prepare it. That yeah, kind of mindful preparing. of Yeah, it,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. There's that mindfulness to- that Dr. Mark Donohoe t- consistently talks to me about.
1: <laughs> but so true. But but so true. Because yeah. I mean, you know, the, we can't separate. Um, where, where, does, where, does the, where does healing start and where does it end? Yeah. I mean, there's another question, and, and certainly one beyond the scope for today's discussion, but it, it, it's, a, it's a very, very complex and, and multifarious uh, discussion, and, and, you know, dosage just being one small point uh, when it comes to that. And I think it's just it's nice sometimes to ruffle the feathers mm. and, and have these discussions and just sit there and, and say, well, in the light of current evidence, um, this is where we are. And, and, and even dosage forms, you know, we, we, we are always told that the the liquid extracts are the strongest and, and uh, this is the way that it's, it's uh, best to go. But, you know, I think there was uh, work done at Southern Cross University in an honours programme not too long ago where they were comparing liquid uh, extract dosage uh, regimes compared to um, the infusions um, that were displayed in the uh, British Herbal Pharmacopeia and at mm. the dosages that were uh, uh, applied there. And they found for some herbs that you were getting a, a far greater dose of flavonoids and, and other phytonutrients when compared to um, the actual liquid extract because of that increased pathology. Yeah, And I think so that discussion of, oh, well, an infusion or a decoction uh, just doesn't pack the same phytochemical punch. Well, that, of course, might be true from a phytochemical perspective if there's a lot of nonpolar substances that are there and they need alcohol, uh, you know, to actually be liberated. But in, in, in herbs that we know that have a predominantly, um, water-soluble, uh, phyto, you know, phytochemicals that we're trying to get, such as Althea, um, you know, and other members of the Malvasi family, then I think that, uh, I've seen some fantastic results using, uh, marshmallow just as a cold infusion and, and, uh, uh, you know or as a warm infusion and and then keeping it in the fridge, and they can just sip on it during the day yeah, um there's just it's so it's so much more complex um and so much more, so much more meaningful, i guess than um sometimes the simplicity of which we are taught, yeah, um and, and I think that boils down to all of us. We need to take a responsibility to educate ourselves because um i mean i've I've been blessed and I, I know you have to to have just been surrounded by so many amazing teachers, you know, both when I was at school and, and even teachers day to day, I learned from students all the time. I learned from so many different people. And, and I think that's that, that's that discussion we need to have is that, you know, as soon as you close your mind, uh, to just believing something blindly and, and stop questioning, uh, I think, I think we're going to start running into troubles. And I guess we can question, um, why we don't use infusions, why we don't use as many decoctions anymore, why don't we use these other dosage forms, why is drop dosing scoffed at, um, when, as you say with Iberagast, uh, the evidence is sitting you uh, and looking at you straight in the face.
2: Mm.
0: Um, just when you were speaking about the the amount of phytonutrients in uh, decoctions versus, um, what was it? Um, the, the liquid extract. Versus the liquid extract, yeah. I, I will always remember Dennis Stewart Saying that the mark of a good red wine is not beholden to its resveratrol content. Um,
1: well, well, I mean, look, Dennis is another master of the art, isn't he? I mean, mm. and, and that's the thing is that we really need to look to our to our elders, um, to those that have walked the path a lot longer than us, um, for for their experience. I mean, this is the thing is that sometimes we have to, as a as a profession, um, I think we. Idolize knowledge a little bit more than wisdom, uh, and and I actually think that we need wisdom now. I, I really think we need to start bringing that traditional wisdom back um, to, to to supplement uh, as an adjunct, and and not that one is more important than the other. I mean, evidence based science. Everyone that listens to FX Medicine loves it. We 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 know that we need it, um, you know, for for so many reasons. But uh, at, at what uh, at what cost? You know, are we actually um, not keeping an open mind enough to actually start exploring some of our more, uh, traditional dosage forms or just traditional, uh, thought processes. Um, and I think, you know, looking at people like Dennis and, and, uh, you know, Hoffman and, and all of those masters of the art, these, this is where we can start to go back, um, and start to perfect, um, how we practice. Because, you know, looking at all of these very, uh, scientific protocols almost, and I mean, they are, to a degree, a protocol, um, and 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 protocol and holistic medicine, um, there seems to be a little bit of a Don't, uh, no. um, disconnect. You know, a, a, a disconnect there, indeed. Um, and and I think that that uh, bringing back that these discussions about our tradition, our tradition is nothing to be ashamed of. Um, our tradition is long. It's you know, it's strong. It's a, it's a, it's where we are. We we are here today because of our tradition, um, and that's why when. A lot of people argue, well, it's not the scientific method, um, as if uh, science is is in and of itself some type of um, philosophy or, or a, a, a paradigm. When really, science is just a mechanism for exploration of truth. Hmm. Um, it's it's a way of investigation. But some people almost follow it like it's a religion, and-, um, and, and 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 by so doing, I can't believe in anything else that is not scientific. And I think that's unfortunately quite close-minded.
0: That's right. So here's something scientific. Smoking is good for you in the 1960s. <laughs>
1: exactly. Thalidomide well, is let's... the
0: new wonder drug for um, um, forgive me what was it nausea during pregnancy? Oh
1: yeah, yeah. There we go. And that's a per- perfect science. example. Yeah, but it's um I guess that's one of the things about science though is that it's correct until it's not and mm. then it's okay because that's part of the method. Hmm. Um so so if you consistently follow um scientific, uh, understandings as being, uh, the best that there is at any given time, it's actually experience, um, that then will highlight that that may be not have been the case. And that's why I go back to that discussion about knowledge versus wisdom. Um, and, and the two are not, uh, of course, um, exclusive. You, you can want to cultivate both. And I think that we really need to start doing that as a, uh, as a profession. We need to start looking back on, on, you know, these, uh, masters that have walked before us and have so much experience because it's that experience um, that is useful. It's, it's incredibly useful to help us understand cases that maybe um, we're not doing so well with following the, the, the dosage or the herbal selection that we are and, and just looking at things a, a little bit more uh, open-minded. I, I think that's, you know, open-mindedness uh, in, in our evolution um, is certainly important. And and, and and this dismissiveness, I think, Um, of our tradition and where we come from is more harmful than
0: than good. Yeah. So resources for our practitioner listeners out there. Uh, I guess my first one is Medical Herbalism by David Hoffman.
2: Mm, Classic.
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, I've got both the soft cover, the really old one, plus the hard cover. I think, uh, forgive me, 2003, I think its latest publishing is.
1: Okay.
0: Um, One of the other ones, the other, this guy is almost sort of, godlike in my thing and that is um james duke uh who's done a lot of work with the department of agriculture in america with forgive me a a colleague and i can't remember her name but he's got a heck of a lot of history in the phytochemicals within medicinal plants but respecting their history Um, what other ones have you got what other ones can you recommend
1: oh god look i there's so many. I mean, how far do you want to go back? I mean, I I, I tend to like to go and explore actual texts. Um, I'm not so much a fan of um, contemporaries. So I mean, I love going back and reading Culpeper. People yep. might scoff, but uh, he was he, his knowledge base of herbal medicine was incredible, and what he did for the people of his time, you know, which is basically translating uh, medicinal quality texts uh, into the common tongue, so that uh, commoners. Could actually learn to treat themselves. What, what an amazing guy. He's always been a bit of a hero of mine. Um, and then, you know, Gerard, going back and looking at that, I recently purchased, um, took me ages to save up for it, but the original translation of The Canon of Medicine, um, uh, Avicenna. And that, that book has opened my eyes um, in, in ways that um, no modern book really can, because you, you can see what they're trying to accomplish with the limited knowledge base that they had, um, and there was trial and experimentation there, and, and quite frankly, we've got to say that that is science. You know, they were using um, scientific method uh, all that way back then. Uh, incredible. So I really enjoy uh, a lot of the Islamic scholars uh, actually. so um, uh, al uh, ibn jabir uh, and uh, and obviously um avicenna they 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 inspire me a lot and and uh, Going back and reading the Hippocratic Corpus, um, that's been uh, something that I've been doing over the uh, over the last couple of years, and yeah. that's again pretty amazing. Galen, you know these these types of really uh, old texts, uh, but of course, uh, De Medica by Pedanius Dioscorides, incredible. Um, looking at how they used herbs in different applications and in different dosage forms, but then again, I guess shifting back towards more our time, um, I am a huge fan of. Um, of grief, you know, of of good uh, on uh, yes. um, or grief. Mrs. I, I think that our modern herbal, Mrs. M. Grieve, yeah. um I, I find you know, there's a, an amazing uh, treasure trove of information if you have the if you have the time and the and the patience to just read it. It's it's there. There's so many books there that are just waiting to to give you more information. You know, Simon Mills, the complete guide to modern herbalism. Absolutely. Um you know Simon Mills, uh, amazing knowledge base, and again Hoffman, as you say, um, these 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 guys really are, um, um, you know, masters of their craft, and and we have so much to learn from them. The BHP of 1983 has always uh, shared a very very um, close uh, uh, place in my heart. That's mm. uh, that's uh, of course another one, and uh, and some of the offshoots of that British Herbal Compendium, which tends to tie in a lot more of the science with it, but. Mm. Um, it's it's you know there's so many other books there that uh, that that could be incorporated uh some of the uh native american herbal medicine textbooks that have been uh, uh published over the years and i think that you know we do have a lot to learn about our own tradition uh because when we start to read uh about it just because you're reading someone's interpretation um of a book such as uh, that paracelsus might have written or that uh, Avicenna might have written. Um, it's not reading the actual text. And of course, you're going to lose a lot in translation no matter what, uh, because it's actually up to the translator to do so. But um, to just take the time and, and read some of these uh, older books, um, you, you start to appreciate that um, what we believe... Um, their knowledge base was, and, and we can sit there and say, oh, well, they lived in the dark ages. What did they know? They didn't, you know, they haven't gone through the scientific revolution. Uh, you would be very surprised mm. um, about the knowledge base that they actually had. Uh, even if, you know, you want to sit there and say, well, they practiced, um, you know, um uh, all the different forms of medicine, whatever paradigm it might have been, and it's uh, you know they had no understanding of germ theory and all this type of stuff. But but still, the herbs that they were using and the application uh, dosage forms that they were using um, were, were still enough uh, to be able to treat them. And sure, they they didn't have the lifespan that we have today. We have so much to be thankful for with science and um, and uh, you know expanding our. Uh, not only our knowledge base, but our, our lifespans. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean that we have to forget where we came from, no, uh, or be shame. ashamed, or, or be ashamed of where we came from. Yeah, um,
0: one yeah. of these um, one of these old texts. I, I have a little folder in my, I call it my brain. It's not in my head; it's on my computer. Um, but <laughs> but I, I just found. I, I don't know how I found these, but these old texts that somebody has basically put into a PDF format. Um, and oh, I've, I've saved these. I've downloaded them. I can't let them go. And like I've got one, the Herbal and or General History of Plants. You were talking about him, Gerard, um, from he London, fifteen ninety seven. Exactly. Um, I'm looking exactly. at one here. Standardized products. Um, the author is, and it's from nineteen eleven. The author, of course, yeah. is Park Davis and Company. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. and they're talking about asafoetida. You, oh, you know, yeah. they're yeah. not talking about just aspirin and things and, and the, uh, the more galenical-type preparations that you'd find in a pharmacy. You know, there's yeah. asafoetida there's belladonna, of course, and, and cannabis sativa is in there. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, look at the Felter and Lloyds and King's American Dispensatory and all of those, and you go through them and it's predominantly herbal. Yeah. You know, And that was just what, uh, you know, the, the, the turn of the last century. So it's, it's, it's incredible um, how quickly medicine has evolved. Um, but still, you know, we—I think I was uh, when I was uh, had the absolute uh, privilege uh, to write a chapter with uh, the amazing Leah Hechtman in her Clinical Naturopathic Medicine textbook, that yep. weighty tome—and yep. um, and we were looking at the evolution of the of herbal medicine and the herbal classes—and and, and uh, one of the things that we kind of said in there was that um, you know herbal medicine, our tradition, really is um, the roots upon which science has been able to flourish. Um, it's the trunk of the tree, and the branches um, you know, are, are, are the new scientific investigations spreading out and exploring new things. So the, the, the one is the whole. We can't sit there and say that there's science or there is tradition, and you either belong to one camp or the other, because you're completely losing the point. Um, it's just uh, about applicability and contextualization, and we need to understand that they are both important, and science will continue to be important, and science is continually validating uh, our tradition, mm. uh, as you see with something like Iberogast, and what are we up to now? Over over ten clinical studies, I believe, with the Iberogast product. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's just something that uh, I think we we got carried away a little bit with with all of the science, and and uh, that's going to continue, of course, because it's an amazing field. But. We seem to have just kind of forgotten our tradition for a little while and I think we need to start that discussion
0: again. absolutely. And this is what I love about you is that you know this stuff. <laughs> You're like you don't just think, Oh, there's history. You know the history. So I really can't thank you enough for taking us through a little tidbit, if you like, of delving back and, and you know, really revering the the history of our of our roots and I, again that pun is intended and I'll close off with a little a little saying that I saw on the web a few months ago and that is knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad
1: <laughs> well said well said and that's that's um, that's exactly what it boils down to and and uh, yeah we I, as I said just in closing I really think we we need to give so much thanks um, to, to those that have beaten the path before us, you know, and, and, and all of those people that have been practicing this art and science for so long. And, and we need to look to our elders with new respect, I think, in this field and, and not only thank them uh, for, for keeping our tradition alive and, and, and keeping it at the forefront of, uh, of our minds, but um, for being brave enough to do so, um, uh, sometimes in light of you know, uh, persecution and some things as well, uh, you know, and such things as well. So I think we've, is uh, medicine's always going to have such a bright future um, as long as we can uh, remember our roots and uh, keep a firm eye on where we're
0: going. Justin, you're a brilliant human being, a brilliant man and a brilliant caring practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us on FX Medicine uh, today. Badly, mate, that you
1: all full, but thank you so much for your time as
0: usual. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. If you're loving our FX Medicine podcasts, please don't forget to share us with your colleagues,
2: family and friends.